As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Thursday, April 21st. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. On this episode, we will discuss the problem of finding starting pitching in season. Already an issue for me in more than a couple of leagues, and it looks like the waiver wire is already pretty thin. So digging a little deeper, looking for some help on that front. Got an email sent to Eno about a new early sample hitting metrics. So we'll dig into that and talk about what that might mean and how that might steer us to a few players to either trade for or possibly even pick up in a few cases. There's a handful of names on there that might actually be available in some more shallow formats. Had a good follow-up email to Max Velocity that we talked about on the last episode with Jacob deGrom. So we'll try to get to that today as well. And if there's time, we'll go through a pickup process example because there was a request for us to kind of walk through step-by-step how we would look at a a situation if we were thinking about picking up two different hitters how would we go about doing that so let's begin you know with finding pitching in season a common problem not just a Derek problem this is not just me having therapy on the podcast there is a league where I am doing great with my bats I am among the league leaders in hitting points and I am currently dead last in pitching points and My concern about that is that I'm dead last in strikeouts, not that I'm dead last in ERA and second to last in whip, because I think the pitchers I have are not as bad ratio wise as they've been through their first two turns in the rotation. That that's an easy thing to talk myself out of. But I do think if you're sitting in the position I am where you are underperforming in strikeouts through two weeks, you need to make adjustments now. And that led me to the waiver wire. I looked at the wires. It's a 15-team league in this case. I said, this is not good. There's, there's, there's not a lot of pitching help out here. So I need to start formulating a plan to get more volume and to help close down that gap as quickly as possible. Because the longer we go where I'm lagging, the harder it's going to be to make up that ground later on. Yeah, it's true. And uh, I'm last in the strikeouts of my main, so I better get going on it. 
<laughs> I was just furiously checking my standings. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think that there are things you could do. Like, for example, if you've been using a spot on your bench for uh, saves prospecting, maybe now that's uh, got to switch over to a starting pitcher. You know, you got to, that's a sort of NFC thing where you have that limited small bench, but it's an important thing to think about is like your allocation of resources on that bench. Uh, maybe it's time if you have your hitting's doing fine, then maybe it's time to have one less hitter on your bench. Uh, I, for example, have now cobbled together a Stomont Bednar Soto uh, three-headed monster and, and monsters in quotation marks uh, for for my bullpen. So maybe it's time, as much as I like John Duran, to 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 drop him uh, for the next two start pitcher. And then it is time probably to start thinking about two start pitching a lot. That's why the Rasball tool is very useful. You can kind of look at all of your options, uh, on the, on the waiver wire, uh, to pick up, uh, you know, something that's going to be heavy in case. Yeah. I think the two good points that you made there along the way, uh, do not at this point feel compelled to hold that, that third reliever who's not getting you saves, right? That that player, if it hasn't happened in the first two weeks and there's no change in terms of injuries or uh, someone else in the pen really underperforming, move on. You can find someone else like that at any time. And yeah, you may have to pay a little more in fab leagues to get those players if they start to pop before a fab run. But you're going to lag in important stats and you're not getting the one stat you need from those players to make them valuable. Um, and I do have at least one too many position players for a, an offense that's loaded. I have three guys that I think I have combined used in my lineup one time in about six lineup periods. So that that to me is a roster structure problem as well. Sorting out which one I drop might be as simple as dropping the injured one because I'm lucky enough to have that uh, that already decided for me. But two start pitchers, I think the fear people have when they look at two start pitchers is that they're going to hurt their ratios. It is a uh, what could go wrong is, is sort of the, the mindset people go into it with because they're often looking at pitchers they ordinarily didn't want to even draft in the first place. And I guess I'm I'm curious, how do you push yourself past that? How do you how do you convince yourself it's going to be fine if I go after these two star pitchers uh, if I have the right matchups? You know, I'm not saying go out there and throw Zach Davies, a very low K rate pitcher against the Dodgers and the Cardinals. That that's probably not quite where you want to go in April, but you do need to choose your spots and and find maybe it's it's Reaver San Martin for a two start week. Although he's got the Rockies for a second one next week, mm-hmm. so that's probably not not the sweet spot. But how do you how do you tell yourself that the ratios aren't going to be a total disaster when you go to the back of a rotation and push someone in there for two turns? Well, I think that you just have to think about matchups. Uh, you know, think about how the spread and talent, how much a matchup can mean. Um, Cole Irvin, for example, this week has the uh, had the Orioles at home and the Rangers at home. So he's uh, he's not a good pitcher. I mean, good. That's that's mean. He's not a great pitcher. I mean, he he's not a, guy, a strikeout guy. He doesn't have good stuff. He has a lot of pitches that he can command. And in the right situation, he can be good. And in this situation, he's in a cold ballpark with huge foul ground against two of the worst offenses. He doesn't get much better than that. In fact, Rasball Raider had him 11th this week. You know, so, you know, I think that you have to think about the spread in in 
offenses right now. The Angels have scored 65 runs. The Orioles have scored 24. (laughs) Like, if you can target the Diamondbacks with 33, the the Tigers with 33, the Royals with 31, Baltimore with 24, then you are good. And if if and I think the hardest thing is that you never. It's very rare to get. Like for example, the Rangers have actually scored fifty three runs. They're not. They're they're middle of the pack offense. You you like that Irvin matchup because it's at home, right? Uh, in Oakland, but it's very rare to have two matchups that you're like, oh, I love both these matchups. And if they are, then you might have to pay a little bit more because everyone's like, oh, I love this guy. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so. You know, I think the hardest is on the margins when you have uh, one good start and one start where you're like, mm, you know, do I really want that one? Uh, but then you're just hoping that between the two, uh, you get averages ratios and you get more Ks. I, I, I think if if one start is amazing and the other start is not, you know, in Colorado, then I, you know, I'd lean towards taking it. Yeah, I think. Joan Adone is a name that if we're going to see get picked up this week and there's there are little things to like in his profile. It's a home start against Miami and then a road start against San Francisco. Just good enough. Probably in, in 15s and 12s, I could see maybe passing, but I think he's going to be popular in some of the deeper leagues that we play in, in part because a few of the other two-star pitchers actually have two tough matchups. Mitch Keller's out there again in some leagues. He's at home twice against the Brewers and Padres. That's probably a go if you're in a situation like the one you and I are describing. Yeah, the stuff is better. Uh, he, he had a good start. You know, seems to be figuring out a way to like, you know, pitch past the straightness of his fastball. And it's home. It's home, Pittsburgh. Dallas Keuchel. I don't think I can... Maybe a contingency. Home against the Royals, but then also home against the Angels. So is the bad start... And then off of one of, like, the worst starts I've seen in a long time. That would take a bit of cojones for me. Do you have any other names? Uh, Kyle Freeland at... Philly home against the Reds. Ooh, I don't think I want that. No. Uh, we've got Reaver home against the Padres, road against the Rockies. I don't know if I want to do that. Also an argument, I think in my main, uh, I might want to switch the hitter um, and uh, the Duran spot to starters. And here's why. You can't afford to stream every week. And some of those names that you'll mention will be owned. Like Mitch Keller will be owned, Right. So by having four or five starting pitchers on my bench, I start creating streaming options on my own team. Right. You're not paying every single time you do it. Right. So, uh, so I think the ma- one of the I think the major decisions will be Duran for me. Like in this, in this, I I know nobody cares about my fantasy team, but it's at least it's a high level fantasy team with I think you know, these are examples that other people might be struggling with. You know, the struggle for me would be Duran. Uh, and uh, uh, Ronzi Contreras. Uh, See, because yeah, how long do I wait? I mean, he seems like he's almost he's almost in there, but he could he like could he be like this forever? Um, and then or how long will it be? And then somebody like uh Seth Beer or uh Mike Yastrzemski or, or you know like one of these uh these these bats that I'm not playing a lot. I think, you know, looking beyond the streamers, I do think 
Rowanzi Contreras is a little more a little more likely to become a starter than Duran. Oh yeah, I mean they're like way more way more likely. Duran is a is a I'm hoping for a saves. Yeah, and that I mean that's possible, but that still still reeks of a future committee. Yeah, even if he's a part and of how it. How long can I wait for it? And how desperate is it for me if I have three that are that are closing games right now? Yeah, I I don't think you can wait much longer than you already have for that particular role. And then the if you have deeper benches, and so streaming is almost uh, really tough, right? Like the, because if you have deeper benches, then all those streamers are on people's rosters already. Like Mitch Keller's already mm-hmm. gone. You know, maybe even Kyle Freeland is gone if you're in a deep enough league with deep enough benches. Then you have to start looking at depth charts, right? And you have to start looking for six starters. This conversation came up a little bit online because he was talking with uh, Rob Silver and uh, Vlad Sedler about um, about Tony Gonsolin. And like you know, I don't uh, I don't think Tony Gonsolin's that good. Uh, you know, I I think that the the stuff numbers aren't great. Uh, you know, the velocity's gone down, and then the command is is bottom shelf. You know, it's near reliever command. We've talked about this since the beginning. He started. That's we've seen it fall apart in the in the postseason. We've we've he has a walk rate of ten percent for his career, which only one qualified pitcher had last year. That was Lance McCullers. Does he have stuff like Lance McCullers? I don't think so. So, uh, you know, I don't think he will become a qualified starter. I don't think he's the first choice for them in the long term at a starter position. I think he's thrust into the role when Andrew Haney has to take two weeks off. That sort of deal. But, um, you know, Rob Silver had a good point, which is that he didn't think that the Dodgers had a lot of other options and the schedule is okay going forward. And at least in the short term, he's going to be really good. Um, Maybe. But when I look at the depth charts, uh, as I as I would uh, for the Dodgers, um, I I see some options I really like and some that aren't even listed on the fan graphs depth chart, which is like Bobby Miller um and uh and mitch white as possibilities if something happens long term to andrew haney or to another starter um and i could think that both of those guys uh could possibly uh push gonsolin out of the out of the rotation which gonsolin's projected for an era near five uh projected for a strikeout rate under one per inning and a walk rate you know, of nearly one every two innings. That's just not a recipe for success. So a homer and a half per inning. I can't really argue with those projections. So anyway, uh, th- this, is an, uh, this is an exercise of one particular depth chart. But, uh, you know, the deeper your league is, the more you want to think about, you know, uh, do I want to bet on Tyler Anderson over Tony Gonsolin to keep his spot? Do I want to start to roster Bobby Miller or Mitch White now uh, to get ahead of it? And I wonder if you've got some of your favorite. I know, I know one in Arizona that you've got your eye on. Uh, that's kind of a six starter. And we talked about Ronzi Contreras. I think this guy in Arizona and, and Ronzi Contreras are among the best six starters to to kind of get your, get on your roster now. Yeah, Corbin Martin is still. I just I can't quit Corbin Martin. And I think almost what you're trying to do if we're talking about a 15 team league, you're trying to find the next Tyler Anderson. You're trying to find the next guy who's going to get bumped in when someone gets hurt, who's already stretched out. So. When he gets the opportunity, you're also not waiting a week or two for him to be pitching deep enough into the game to get a win. Exactly. Someone who's already pitching longer, longer innings. And do you want that guy to be in the minors like Bobby Miller um, or, or Mitch White? Or do you want him to be in the majors pitching three innings 
Uh, kind of tough to decide that because the guy who's pitching in the majors three innings, um, you know, maybe might need to stretch out a little bit more, or maybe they like him in his role, you know, or maybe they're trying to keep his innings down. Um, you know, I think that you know, I got some feedback that some people are having a hard time keeping Drew Rasmussen, especially in like a, a, a quality start league, and I get it. Uh, but sometimes innings are innings. So, uh, you know, if you're not in a quality start league, you know, Rasmus isn't going to get, he's going to get some wins. He's going to get you four innings at a time, um, four or five innings at a time. He's going to be useful. Uh, that's a question about like, do I want to keep Corbin Martin on my, on my roster or do I want to, uh, instead have somebody like Bobby Miller, who's more of a long shot, but if he does come up, would be likely to be a full-time starter. Yeah, I think you could look at Grayson Rodriguez probably the same way too in the leagues where he's available. And I think both Miller and Rodriguez are going to bring you to the questions about in-start workloads, at least initially. And then how long does it take for them to get those opportunities? I think it's a guessing game that it's really tough to play because that's another person that you can't stream in. It tightens up the bench and it forces you to spend more on the other pitchers that everybody else is going after. So I, I find this this exercise to be uh, very frustrating to see that Tyler Anderson was already rostered in this league where I need pitching is frustrating because he's the kind of guy that I would have probably overpaid for given my needs and given the chance that, you know, what's what's ailing Heaney actually hangs on a, a bit longer than expected or that one of the other starters goes down with an injury and Heaney comes back. But Anderson stays in as a result of that, because we've talked about this before with that that starting five is that there's elevated injury risk with guys like Clayton Kershaw and even Walker Bueller having had Tommy John surgery a few years back. His and, ride and Velo are down uh, as, a, as, as a little aside. Like he does not, he's not the same uh, player stuff wise he was last year. Yeah, that's uh, a definite cause for concern. I mean, the- looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24 7 US based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Other other names that sort of fit into this conversation, you almost have to hunt on the particularly good teams. Bad teams already have pitching problems and... <laughs> Well, here I've got some names for you. Uh, you know, Aaron Ashby in in more shallow leagues. Um, I think in deeper, maybe uh, maybe it just depends on on the structure of your league. But Christian Javier, I think with Jake Odorizzi's really horrible start against the Angels, Christian Javier could step in uh, to his spot in the rotation. Um, you know, uh, Ross Stripling might be worth a bet. Uh, you know, based on some of the same characteristics that Hunjin Ryu has when given that Ryu's out, uh, because he has multiple pitches and command, he's a little bit like a Tyler Anderson, uh, you know, stepping in there. Uh, I think the Braves rotation is uh, has a, a spot right now that they haven't really. There's maybe 
like I guess it's one spot. It's the Waskari Noah spot because they sent him down. Now they've been they've been using Bryce Elder, but Elder's had some command issues. We're all hoping it's Spencer Strider, I think, but <laughs> it could be Kyle Muller or Tucker Davidson. So you know, there's a bit of a bet, and and I'm sorry, I can't necessarily help you and tell you exactly who it's going to be. Like if it were my team, I think I would do Spencer Strider. He had 100 innings in last year. He's got the best stuff numbers. He's already doing really well. However, Spencer Strider has been pitching mostly in one inning stints, you know? And so maybe you think this is the, the reliever that gets me to the, the, the world series again, you know? So I, do you have, do you have an opinion on who you think is going to step into, you know, as you know, as role? I've been expecting to be Strider because uh, I think the second time he pitched, the pitch count was basically that of a starter working out of the bullpen. So I thought, okay, this is this is an easy switch to flip, I think, compared to Elder, who's more about a, a deep arsenal. Yeah, that's right. He's been pitching longer since. So yeah, you're right. That that last one was uh, was three and two thirds. And it was like seventy plus pitches, if I remember right, too. It wasn't even. It wasn't efficient. I wish he wasn't walking guys like he was, but the stuff is so excellent. Oh, and and, and a note, um, you know, when you're looking at stuff and location pitching plus, uh, stuff plus does not consider uh, platoon splits, and, and so and pitching plus does. So if you see somebody with a really high stuff plus and not that great of a pitching plus, sometimes that's because they're a two-pitch pitcher uh, or they just have a slider that lefties can maybe hit. So that's a little bit relevant for Strider. That might be why the walk rate is high. Maybe he's just walking all the lefties. Um, But I still would be super excited to see him in the rotation. What about Ross Stripling? He's kind of one of the original names that, for for our purposes, a few years back... I didn't, I didn't hear you say him before. He, so, well, Ryu's hurt, so you, you've got Stripling in this situation. Didn't yeah. pitch well last I mean, had strikeouts last year, 94 Ks and 101 in the third innings, but a 480 ERA, 127 whip, major home run issue, 23 homers allowed. With a deadened ball in the conditions we're dealing with right now, though, I'm more optimistic than pessimistic about Stripling being pretty useful for us. Yeah, he's a little bit tougher in leagues where you have to put him in every week, right? I mean, I, I would be, I'd be a little bit worried about throwing him like in New York, or maybe even home against New York, or you know, home against Boston. Some of those matchups are a little bit tough. It's a tough division, but I, you know, I do think Stripling is is worth taking a look at. I don't know. I, I'm I'm scrolling through here, and uh, once you get to the bad rotations, there's a lot of pitchers you don't want. <laughs> you <know>? Yeah. <laughs> Um, I don't think I'd want, uh, oh, here's a guy. Um, there was a big discussion cause I had, uh, a, let me see here. Oh, I guess he's already in the rotation. Uh, he, I think he's bad enough that he could be on your, on your, on your wire. Uh, he's, he's performed poorly enough that he could be on your wire. Daniel Lynch is a little bit interesting to me. Um, I just wrote a piece that was, uh, extremely, um, critical of the Royals pitching development right now. I wrote that with Alec Lewis. It's up there right now. There's a fastball problem in the Royals rotation, but the only pitcher that I really see maybe emerging from this group of starters, uh, Brad Keller has an interesting cut fastball right now. Uh, He has actually the best fastball stuff of any pitcher in that rotation, which is kind of hard to believe because Carlos Hernandez throws 95, but uh, Hernandez's pitches don't have that great shape. 
Um, so Brad Keller, I think, is an interesting uh, fringy starter. And then Daniel Lynch is the guy that I do think among their sort of, including like Jackson Kowar, among those sort of six guys, seven guys that they've, that they've been starting, I think Daniel Lynch has the best upside long-term. Uh, there's a thread from Kyle Bode about some of the problems that Lynch has had, which is that his fastball has a little bit of carry, but he's been aiming low and away because that's what the organizational philosophy is. And that's a bad place to aim your fastball with carry because if you aim low and away, it comes up to the heart of the zone. And if you look at the heat maps for where Daniel Lynch is throwing his fastball, he's throwing it hard, hard of the zone. So I would be preaching a lot of high fastballs with Daniel Lynch. He has a really good slider. Um, and if he makes any advancements on the shape of his fastball, I think he could break out. So I think Lynch is an interesting guy, uh, especially given home park. I think it would be a guy I would like to have on my bench in deeper leagues because in the home park, you have some teams come back. Like Detroit comes through at home. You, I think that's a start you would love to have Daniel Lynch on your bench for. And that you'd, you'd put him into your starting rotation for there's one that got away from me. I had him on my roster for saves in some of the drafts uh, that we did probably back more like in the early March and, and prior. But Tyler Wells, I mean, if I was looking back at the O-swing leaderboards from last year, set it to just a minimum of 50 innings, and he had a 39.1% O-swing percentage, which ranked eighth out of 338 pitchers. You can get guys to chase stuff out of the zone. You're doing something right. And I... I guess I should have been more open-minded to the possibility that someone with his minor league track record and that success, even in a relief role last year, could actually be useful to us as a starter. Instead of saying, oh, he's not getting saves and he's got to deal with the AL East, I'm out. I should have said, this could be some found money in terms of a streaming pitcher if everything carries over. So I, I think I played that a little bit wrong and I'm seeing he's rostered in a decent number of 15 team leagues already. Yeah, I like him a lot. <laughs> I talked to him uh, when he came to town this week, and um, you know, he just said all the right things that lined up with what the stuff numbers say, which is his fastball has a lot of carry. He says, I just throw it with conviction, and I've always had a lot of carry on my fastball. It's got good velo. He's a hoss. Like, if you, I don't, if you like, see him, he's a large human being. Um, and uh, I think that that matters a little bit because you're talking about can he have the st- can he have the length can he have the stability will he start getting five innings he also was a starter for all you know he was a starter all the way through the Twins organization um, you know he was only kind of a reliever last year because of some injury issues and and the way that they were trying to bring him back so I do think he's kind of a three four guy he's in that Rasmussen group right now where it's a little bit rough but um, you know I think he's a little bit closer to Contreras at uh, all in terms of and Corbin Martin in terms of they could ramp up the innings, uh, whereas Rasmussen may be stuck at 80 to 90 pitches all season. So uh, that's something I like about Wells. Uh, I, I'm scrolling through here. Glenn Otto is a name <laughs> that I like. The Rangers are already have already used an opener in Matt Bush, and uh, Spencer Howard did not perform that well. Um, I, I could see Glenn Otto coming up. Glenn Otto, uh, has, uh, been doing well in the minor leagues and two starts. He has given up zero runs. His stuff plus last year was pretty decent. Um, and his command is pretty good. So, uh, Glenn Otto is a guy that I could see coming up, uh, fairly soon actually. And I like him better than AJ Alexi. 
Yeah, he had some some pretty interesting numbers in the upper levels of the minor leagues. He was old for the level in 2021 when he started at Double A. 103 Ks and 65 and a third innings against 14 walks. I don't care how old you are. That's still that's still interesting, and they have a clear need. Um, and plus, I'm always I'm always willing to roster someone who had an ERA over seven last year. Glenado had a, a 9.26 ERA in his six starts with the Rangers, but it was a 28 to eight K to BB. Only two homers allowed. It wasn't nearly as bad as it looks when you just look at those ratios. So I think uh, I like that Glenn Auto call, especially if he also was uh, popping in the model with the stuff. If we if we revive an old an old segment, prospect of the week, prospect <laughs> of the week. Uh, I do. I, 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 Kyle Bradish is a guy that I just want to I want to throw out there uh, because he has pretty awesome strikeout rates in the minor leagues. And, um, you know, the, the command has come and gone right now. The command looks like it's doing decent. And uh, as I talked to people around the Orioles uh, yesterday or Tuesday, um, there seemed to be a sense that maybe Bradish is the first arm up, not the one everyone's waiting for. Hmm. So... Oh. Uh, if Bradish comes up, uh, you know, I, I also, uh, as a, a guy that uh, has not performed uh, well in the past and people might be scared of um, and they may not be realizing how uh, the uh, rotation in Baltimore is actually pretty good right now. They are doing some really interesting things with their pitchers, and they have improved Keegan Aiken greatly. Or Keegan Aiken actually uh, did this maybe a little bit on his own during the lockout. He added 11 inches of drop to his curveball. It's a lot of drop. 11 inches. So he thinks he has a, a usable curveball now. He also added an inch of drop to his slider. He also added an inch of ride to his four seam. Like basically anything you'd want from somebody, Keegan Aiken went and did it on all of his pitches. Uh, interestingly enough, he says it's mostly from long toss. That's his uh, personal philosophy, uh, which I love, I love hearing uh, from people that do things a little bit differently. Uh, long toss is well accepted now, but there were times when people were not into it. Keegan Aiken is only pitching about two to three innings per appearance right now, uh, but I think he'll take a, a role eventually. And if you look at you know who's starting games, the fact that John Means is hurt, Chris Ellis came up, but is he the long term situ? Is he the long term choice there? Um, I think that we could see uh, uh, Aiken step into a role here pretty quickly. Um, you know, I'm not sure Spencer Watkins is that great. And in the past, uh, Bruce Zimmerman has uh, not been that awesome. So there is a possibility there for two, uh, you know. So I like keeping an eye on Bradish and, uh, and maybe even rostering Aiken as a possibility in the future. I'll throw Clark Schmidt's name out there oh, as prospect of the week. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe I forgot him. I don't know if he solves our problem if we're looking for innings in the relative near future. I think there's more... There's more John Duran in how he's going to be used than mm. Rowanzi Contreras. At least that's my fear right now. Am I right to look at Schmidt that way? Or should I consider him as someone that could sneak into the back of the rotation and work five innings at a time in the not-so-distant future? I mean, he's got this uh, really weird uses pattern. I mean, the last time he went out, it was three and a third uh, after that Garrett Cole stinker of uh, you know one and two-thirds or something to begin with. Um, that was on Tuesday. 
in the spring, I think he was he was being used uh, closer to a, a starter's role. And then in our spring stuff leaders, he was uh, like in the top 10 for, for starters for stuff. So, um, yes, that number will change if you're asked to go five or six. And can Clark Schmidt, can, be, can he be asked to go five or six right now? I think these are all really great questions. And then lastly, what role would who's start, whose role is he taking? Like what spot in the rotation is he taking? I don't see one that is obvious right now. Um, so uh, you're playing you're playing the Tyler Anderson game there, where it's just you're like waiting for an injury. Basically, someone someone's gonna break for a, a little while at some point, and he's possibly the next guy. Yeah, because I like Michael King a lot too, but I think Michael King. Uh, could stay in this ne- in this weird, neither here nor there kind of uh, interesting role. Uh, I mean, he had like a save the other day, right? He seems to be like the, the guy that they keep in case of uh, in case of extra innings sometimes, or or a guy that might jump in after if somebody if a starter had a bad start. But Schmidt seems maybe he's the guy who will. I don't think that King is. Well, I mean, when you look at their game logs, it's kind of hard to distinguish. But I would just guess, given that Schmidt was the guy that they called uh, for that three innings after Cole, that Schmidt is the sixth starter and King is the rover. I'm intrigued by Schmidt. I'm trying to find places where I could use him. I guess if I have to choose between Clark Schmidt at a min bid versus someone like an Art Warren who I've got on my roster right now. At least in that case, Schmidt makes sense as sort of a contingency bid if I miss out on the the higher volume arms that I'm more interested in right now. But I'm going to venture a guess. This will not be the last time we talk about trying to find some pitching uh, and being ahead of everybody in that regard because it's been an uphill battle early and it's an uphill battle, it seems like, each and every year as we try to do this. I want to talk about this new early sample hitting metric you received an email so i don't know if this is just a a reader of you uh named dorsey or if dorsey also listens to the show but the metric is pretty interesting it takes hard hit percentage and barrel percentage and takes away called strikes and whiffs and it's similar to something you had thrown out there i think it was on monday's episode of rates and barrels the shows are blurring together for me if you haven't been able to tell but Nevertheless, curious what you think about combining those metrics and, and using it in the way that, that Dorsey's using it. No, I like it. I like it. And what I had suggested was just that my my list of, of early sample metrics that I like, the, the, the stats that I look at early in the season, included barrel rate and then hard hit rate only because we haven't gotten to the 50 ball sample that you really want for barrel rate. So, you know, hard hit rate tells you at least who's hitting the ball hard. And then I'd like to look at things like O swing and swinging strike and uh, O swing or uh, chase rate. <laughs> I'll, I'll, do, I'll do it eventually. I'll call it chase rate. Nobody needs to call it reach rate, I guess. And uh, chase rate and um, swinging strike rate give me a sense of if they're changing their approach at the plate. Now, what I like about the, his this approach uh, from reader, what was his name? Dorsey. Dorsey, yeah, from from Dorsey is that um, it combines the idea of reach rate and uh, uh, and swing strike rate in that CSW stat. So I like that sort of combination in one stat. Makes it easier for somebody to maybe uh, do the work themselves, um, you know, without having so many columns. The what I like a little better about using reach 
chase rate and uh, swing strike rate is that you're more directly looking at per pitch metrics and you're giving yourself a bigger sample. CSW, called strikes and whiffs, is a per plate appearance metric. So, you know, there's gives and takes. Uh, but uh, hard to argue with some of the leaderboards he gave us, some of the, the looks at the leaderboards he gave us. Yeah, so this was back-tested also for last April versus the rest of the season just to kind of get a feel for how effective it was. And I think the the summary was uh, 28 of 36 bats who finished the season qualified after starting in the top 50 either stayed within one standard deviation of their initial OPS or positively regressed. It's pretty good. Yeah, good good way to spot a good bat. So we've got two separate lists that were, were sent in. And so far in 2022, some of the top players whose top 50 ranks don't match their current OPS, which suggests positive regression, includes Jose Abreu, Christian Yelich, Dalton Varsho, Aaron Judge, Christian Walker, who you mentioned before we started recording, is showing up on all sorts of leaderboards right now. He'd be one of those players. He's like definitely every time you do a little query, it's like, oh, Christian Walker. Yeah, there's some shallow leagues where he might still be available, and there's plenty of leagues where you can trade where I don't think it would take all that much to get him from a team that has him. Joey Gallo, Joe Adele, Brian Hayes, uh, Luis Robert, and Kyle Tucker. So a good mix of players in there. I think some of the younger guys especially are the names that are probably the most interesting to me. And, and Joe Adele, we, we know the, the early strikeout issues, especially in that series against the Astros, really started to, to shape some of the the perception of him at the beginning of the season. And I think after what you could call a disastrous start, it still looks pretty rough on paper. 20 Ks in 44 plate appearances. He is starting to push things back in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, he did have his three strikeout game uh, on the 18th. So it's not like it's totally changed. But, you know, going from like 3-2-2 in that opening series where he had... Uh, uh, where he had like seven strikeouts in three games, that that'll in a small sample that'll change everything, right? Then he went back to sort of one strikeout a game, uh, before a little bit of problem against Houston, but it's Houston again, right? So it's like, just Houston, yeah, he's know, faced Houston. Maybe they six have a times. good game plan against him. <laughs> um, I would expect him to strike out less, but it also is an important um, decision you have to make when you're looking at this sort of stuff if you want to look at barrels per ball in play. Uh, where Adele looks amazing, or barrels per plate appearance, where he doesn't look quite as amazing <laughs> because he's striking out basically half the time. I, I, you know, in a smaller sample, I could see looking at balls in play because you're saying, hey, this 45% strikeout rate is not going to hold, and then he's going to make more out of what his balls in play um, as he goes forward, and he'll have more balls in play. Um, but I do just, I like the quality of con- contact a lot. And uh, maybe he has a 33% strikeout rate this year, uh, but still manages to hit 230. And uh, if they give him full playing time, I'm saying like more like a 25 homer bat. So if you can, if you can handle the the bad batting average, I think Joe Adele is a, is a guy to roster. Kyle Tucker, I, man- I I mentioned is, you know, absolutely somebody uh, I would buy low on if it's possible, um, and somebody I would not worry about at all. If you're roster, if you're rostering him, so I, I like that list. Uh, the other side of the list, I think, is it's it's a little bit more problematic because when you have a long track record of success, then you know I don't 
want to drop somebody just because they're on the wrong side of this list. So, um, you know, I'll just give uh, I'll just give the list, and then I'll I'm gonna I'm gonna bring out some names that uh, I'm not so worried about, um, despite their being on this list. These are these are like the, the bottom of the list, the guys who are not good at barrels and called strikes and all those. Carlson, second worst, Dylan Carlson. Uh, Jose Altuve, Mookie Betts, Starling Marte, uh, Joey Votto, Kevin Kwan, uh, Marcus Simeon, Miles Straw, Randy Rosarena, Kyle, Kyle Bryant? Chris Bryant? I think it's also Stephen Kwan, too. <laughs> I, said, I said Kevin Kwan. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on fire today. Uh, Bobby Witt Jr. So I'm going to pull out some names I'm not as worried about. Mookie Betts. I'm just not as worried about because of the long track record. Joey Votto, same deal. Like, yes, he's reaching a lot right now. Do you think that Joey Votto can't just turn on the switch and be like, yeah, I know what the strike zone is. All right. You know, I'm not going to reach so much. Right? Like, he has years and years of not swinging at balls outside the zone. And now he's going to, I did say reach a bunch of times. Um, And, uh, I think guys like uh, Miles Straw and uh, Stephen Kwan don't bother as me as much that they're on this because I'm not rostering them for power. And they kind of have like near, I mean, in, in Kwan's case, elite bat to ball, right? So I just feel like, yes, they're not going to pop on any like great hitter list, but they do have value in fantasy. You know what I mean? Like it's th- like this, for example this metric does not consider stolen bases, right? So like Marte uh, and Straw and, and even Arezarena, it's like, I'm going to hold these guys because they're going to steal some bases. Maybe they're only going to hit 240 with 25 homers this year, but or or in Marte's case, you know, 15 or something. But they're still going to steal bases, so I'm, I'm going to hold these guys. Um, but there are some names that, that do worry me on this list. And I think I've, I have those in common with you. I think it'll be interesting to see just where we go, you know, 10 days, two weeks from now, because that'll be a full month. Some of these guys will probably play their way off of the top end or the bottom end of the list. I wonder with these younger guys, with Jared Kelnick and Bobby Witt Jr. and Dylan Carlson, yeah, how how quickly are people going to make a decision to, to drop them in more shallow formats? I don't think you're going to see people in, in 15 team leagues cut them at any point because of, of what it took on draft day to get them, which eventually becomes more of a sunk cost fallacy. I'm not saying you should cut them now. If, if this goes on, if they were to get demoted to AAA, if any of those guys were to go to AAA, I think they'd be cuttable in some redraft mixed leagues as a result. I do. I think that Bobby Witt's kind of interesting in the NFPC idea, right? So you, you pay like a fifth round pick. He's got power and speed. He's playing. I, I would actually treat him like O'Neill Cruz right now, where he'd be on my bench near cutting if I really had to, but a guy I would like to keep as long as possible because there could be a breakout on the other side. At least he's playing in the major leagues and there is so much upside. So, But I wouldn't want to be playing a guy that shows up on this list and is young like that. Right. Well, I just think it's given what we saw with a lot of young hitters last year, I don't think we should be surprised that the first 10 or 20 or 30 games even from Bobby Witt Jr., are an adjustment phase. And I just think it's a question of how patient are the Royals going to be and how patient did they should we see, be? <laughs> how patient should we be? And, and did they see enough last year at AAA in half a season to say he's not going back down there? Mm-hmm. He figured out AAA. He can't he needs to figure he this out. can't figure out his problems against big league pitching going down. This is my this is my adamant like 
at a, su- at a certain point, the best thing you can do for a player's development is just let them stay. Mm-hmm. And the results overall might look bad all year, but you might see some of that improvement like we saw from Kelnick in September last year. Right, So the plate discipline get a little bit better as he was up. I think September ended up being his best overall month. So I don't want to look at 11 games this year from from Kelnick and 10 games from Wit and say, oh, okay, yeah, if, if you liked him, you were wrong because you're not like it's just it could still be an early slump. That's anybody we're talking about at this point. I'm more disappointed in Kelnick and Carlson. And uh, that sounds like a parent or something. I don't know. I mean, well, that but, way. But I just you, mean like you, I, you thought I, they, I, because they've seen it before. Right. Like, they, they, they shouldn't. This shouldn't, especially Carlson. Carlson's had a little more experience even than Kelnick, but both of them. But I'm revising to my projections down for both. And we already hmm. have like a, a bet on Kelnick, which I'm starting to think I might, I might win. What was our bet on Kelnick? It's like something like career OBP. <laughs> Some like doddering old men. Oh, <laughs> like, man, I told really you. I told you. Yeah. What did you say? Three, like a 330 <laughs> career, career OBP, OBP or something? Yeah. <laughs> I took the over? Yeah. Yeah, it's, time is still on my side here. So, um, But I'm revising Dylan Carlson's uh, power expectation down. I, absolutely. I think I, I think you should. I think you have to. You like This is about moving fast. Like You have to move faster than other people. My expectation for Dylan Carlson's uh, home runs this year is more like 18 now. I had hoped begin before the season, before I saw some of these numbers, that maybe he could take the progression to 25, 27, you know? Mm-hmm. Now I think we'd be lucky if he hit 20. <sighs> Frustrating, uh, to say the least, but definitely an interesting metric, good way to, to look at players and it, I like the success rate that was outlined last year. So I'm curious to see if it holds up again here in uh, 2022. So thanks a lot for sending in that email, Dorsey. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's go to a follow-up question about situational max velocity for pitchers. We were talking about Jacob deGrom and maybe a need for him to change his approach in order to stay healthy, in order to be the, the best, most durable version of Jacob deGrom that maybe sitting not as close to his max velocity would be a good thing. And apparently, uh, there was... a graphic on screen during an Angels game when Shohei Otani made his most recent start that broke down his average fastball velocity by situation. Nobody on, runner on first, runner in scoring position, and there were noticeable ticks up in velocity as the situation became more dire for Otani. So I'm, I'm really curious if you think that this might be sort of the happy medium between 
uh, sitting at your max all the time and, and kind of reaching back and, and using the extra velo when you should. Like the, that kind of seems like the appropriate risk reward balance to me. And I, I wonder if this is something you've noticed looking at situational velocities with other pitchers in the past. I mean, I think the name that comes to mind is Justin Verlander. You know, he was uh, a guy that could sit 94 and then all of a sudden in the last inning, you'd see 99, right? Another name that uh, that occurred to me, and so I, I just hurriedly opened his Brooks baseball page, is Carlos Rodon. And the reason why uh, it occurred to me was that in the past, he's been a guy who was more like Verlander, where you would see a certain velo. And then sometimes in the sixth, you would see the 99 to, to get some, to get an important out. And I've even talked to him where he's like, yeah, I like to keep, you know, I like to keep a couple ticks um, in, in, in my bag, you know, for the end of the game. Is, is Crossroad Dolan not doing that anymore? Um, I'm looking at his max speed, his max velo right now. And his max velo right now this season is uh 99.4 according to brooks last season uh it was higher than that most of the time he had a bunch of hundreds he had three months with the hundreds uh basically four months with the hundreds once you round um so that's true but his average this year is higher than it was in every month last year except for one so is carl's rodon treating this year like a contract year and does that have ramifications for his injuries like we're all excited and he looks healthy and it looks amazing but is is he maybe not doing the very best thing right now i don't know if there's going to be a definitive answer to this question yeah. but i i just <laughs> find it to be a more appropriate use of of your ability you know you you shouldn't throw 90 max effort pitches in a game based on what we know about your, your max velo and, and how dangerous it is to sit there. But maybe throwing 15 pitches at max effort is, is okay because you're, you know, you're, you're not, you're not overdoing it. You're not you know, burning uh, too far into the, the red on the meter, I guess, if you kind of thought of it that way, where you're just exhausting yourself every time out there like that. That does seem very problematic. So something I think we can hopefully dig into a bit more in the future. Did you notice that Tyler Megill's uh, velocity was down? I did not. Uh, is it so? Is is the the working theory that he was pushing too close to his max those first couple times out, and then created some fatigue that maybe reduced the velo the third time out? Well, here's his average velo in his first start: ninety five nine, and his second start: ninety seven five. And then uh, against the Giants on the on Tuesday, it was ninety four nine seven, so basically ninety five. Uh, last year he was ninety four ninety five. Um, so it was a little surprising to see him come out of the gate. Now I want us to look at his max. Well, his max changed. His max was ninety nine in those two starts, but his max last time out was ninety seven. Uh, it's not as not as easy to read this chart, says the doctor. <laughs> because when he was pitching, when his max was ninety nine, uh, his average was ninety seven. So he's two miles off of it. And his last one, his his max was ninety five. His average was ninety six seven. So, uh, yeah, I think he's he's trying to pitch closer to his max a little bit. I mean, he's just 
trying to give it full effort. Uh, but it is interesting that his maximum velo dropped almost three ticks from one start to the next. How much could weather have played a role in something like that? It did look a little cold. Yeah. That's still, that's a pretty big drop even with a weather change, but just one of the things that I know is, is on our minds uh, a lot more, a lot more now than it probably was even just 10 years ago. I've got one more question to get to. It's a, an exercise in pickup decisions. Tom wanted to know if we were looking at Jeremy Pena versus Anthony Santander as uh, options on the wire, you know, what would we be thinking about? What would our process be in, in making decisions between those two players and kind of broadening it out to just really any two hitters as we uh, make these adjustments to our rosters? Um, you know, I like, uh, I like, like I, like I said, strikeout rate, swing strike rate. I look at the projections. Um, I look at the barrel rate. Uh, I will look at the max EV. I look at the, at the reach rate. It is, uh, it is interesting because Pena does not, uh, showing great reach rate numbers, but he is barreling the ball. Well, has hit the ball really hard and has the power to show for it. But, uh, you know, uh, I, you know, I like that he's projected for seven to ten steals, but he hasn't taken off yet. You know, and then when I look over at Santander, uh, he's showing like the best plate discipline of his career, but he's not barreling the ball, uh, and he's not projected for any steals. So, uh, I think given those two, I'd rather roster the guys projected for steals, even if his reach rate is a little aggressive right now. Chase rate, you know, chase rate. Mm-hmm. We're trying. We're trying to get there. <laughs> I think the thing I'm looking at when I'm looking at two players that are just you know available in a 10 or a 12 team league like this, I'm looking at playing time. I'm looking at who's actually getting more played appearances. Uh, this this is one of those cases where they both play every day, but because the Astros are better and, and turn their lineup over more often, you get more playing time from Pena, even if Santander hits higher in the order most days. Uh, so that's a factor for me as well. And I think the other... Pena is hitting lower in the lineup, isn't he? Yeah, for now. I mean, it's, I don't know, Altuve's on the IL, we mentioned earlier, so he maybe he can move around. The, yeah, he could slide in the top. I mean, he's showing good OBP right now, although he doesn't have the walk rate in the minors to support, at least not the high minors. But I, I mean, to look at the counting stats differences, 11 games for, for Jamie Pena so far. He's already scored seven runs, driven in four. You look at Santander, Ooh. two runs scored, <laughs> one RBI, like... <laughs> That lineup is not is not doing well right now. I mean, it's basic baseball card stats, but those are the stats we we use and we care about, and it kind of highlights just the the obvious difference in quality between the two lineups. Yeah. Like, would you rather hit fifth for the Orioles or bottom third of the lineup for the Astros? I think that's a a pretty easy question to answer, especially now that Camden Yards isn't the the hitter friendly environment that we were accustomed to for the last twenty plus years. And I come back to those steals, man. I, I know he hasn't shown us one yet, but uh, as he gets acclimated, and especially if he stays lower in the lineup, I think it's easier to steal some bases down there. Uh, you know, if you're not stealing right in front of Jordan Alvarez, uh, maybe you get the green light more often. So there's a green. There's some 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 positive aspects for him to staying lower in the lineup too. I've wondered too for players that can run a little if they tend to wait until a certain point in their big league career after debuting before they start running because you, you you don't want to make mistakes you don't want to do something that's gonna you don't want to piss off Dusty Baker who loves his veterans right you, you feel like after forty or fifty games okay yeah I, I'm 
I'm able to run now. Like I have, I've stabilized my hold on the starting job at shortstop, and I'm in a situation where I want to take off. I'll start running, and maybe you get a guy who's projected for ten steals that gets you six because for the first third of the season he's not worried about stealing bases. He's just worried about not making mistakes. I, I think there could be something to that. Mike Trout stole four bases in his rookie season with 135 plate appearances. Now it was near the end of the season. He might have been tired, but but it was he was a top. Uh, he was a top prospect, and uh, he was supposed to have speed, and he did not take off a lot until he, in the next season, was given the job and just sort of ran with it. Yeah, I wonder. <laughs> I, I don't remember writing anything specifically about Trout after that 2011 season, but I bet you could find stuff out there that's like, might pop 20 homers and steal a dozen bases <laughs> if he can hold playing time and going to come with a, a disappointing batting average if he doesn't bring his K rate down or you know, things like that. Listen, that's that, I think that's also part of the discussion in Pena versus Santander, right? Like age and potential for breakout has to be considered, right? Mm -hmm. Like if, if their projections are going to be wrong, Pena is a like could be wrong in the wrong in like the wrong direction. Like you know, breakout chance is higher for Pena than it is for Santander. Yeah, I, I don't I don't disagree with that. I mean, with Santander, we've got almost twelve hundred career plate appearances, and he's been just a tick below at league average hitter for that. That's it's a lot to say. Okay, he's he's fine, mm -hmm. and as long as the playing time's there, he's still pretty useful. But Pena. Pena can exceed those projections because there's a, a, an age to level component, a development component of where he's at that he could just take a big leap and suddenly he's 15% better than a league average hitter, even though projections think he's probably not yeah. quite that good yet. I mean, look how good he's been in his first week in the big leagues, you know, <laughs> like his first two weeks in the big leagues. Like, imagine if he hasn't been super comfortable. <laughs> well, yeah, in in the face of of you know more, more highly regarded player Bobby Witt Jr. struggling during that same time, and there's a there's a big age difference here. I, I wonder how much that softens things. Does being a 24 year old rookie versus being a 20 or 21 year old rookie, how much of a difference does that make for yeah. a player? Yeah, it's true. But thanks a lot for that question, Tom. Hopefully that sheds a little bit of light onto the types of things we're looking for as we make a decision like that. And hopefully that's applicable to other waiver decisions as the weekend approaches. Uh, before we go, I will let everyone know you can get a subscription to The Athletic for a dollar a month for the first six months at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. If you don't have that subscription, this is a good time to get in and do that. On Twitter, you can find Eno at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. As always, you can drop us an email, rates and barrels at The Athletic, or drop us a comment under this video on YouTube. Be sure to smash that like button if you're watching us there and subscribe to the channel. That's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Monday. Yeah, if you're going to subscribe, subscribe off of that uh, Royals piece. It is the hot poop, as the kids say. And uh, thanks for is that listening. What the kids say? <laughs>